But first up tonight, Canada's drug regulator has approved Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for infants and preschoolers, making it the first shot approved for that age group in this country. Health Canada says the Moderna vaccine can now be given to children ages of between ages of six months and five years old. Deputy Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Howard New says the next step is to help parents make informed decisions for their kids. The things we certainly uh, would like to do is uh, is get as much information out there so that parents can make an informed decision. I think it's so important. It, it, it's not something that we're, we're forcing on anyone, but it's certainly that we want to make sure that the parents are comfortable. That's uh, new says that Canada has a good supply of the Moderna pediatric vaccines and they will be shipped to provinces to begin administering doses very shortly. Dr. Supriya Sharma with the National Advisory Committee on Immunization says the Health Canada approval comes at a critical time for this country in the pandemic as we move through another wave. And though children are less likely to experience complications from COVID-19, they can still get very sick and children like adults can spread the virus. Emerging data also suggests that children with COVID-19, regardless of severity, can develop long COVID. And rarely, some go on to develop multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, which has a very high risk of hospitalization. Dr. Sharma says Health Canada will work with the provinces and territories as well as regulators around the world to monitor the safety of those vaccines. Well, joining me now with more on this is Dr. Wewa Dionandan. He's an, epi- or an epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Thank you for your time tonight. Good evening. It's my pleasure to be here. We've been waiting for this for a while. I know the Americans, of course, had approved one a while back. Uh, what will the impact of this be potentially? It, it seems like it's good news today. I think it's good news. I have a child under five who desperately needs to be vaccinated, and I've been waiting for this day for some months now. Now, will it have a profound effect on transmission at the community level? I don't think so. What it will have an effect on is the state of mind of parents, perhaps on the hospital admission rates for pediatric hospitals, and on the outbreak rate in places like elementary schools and in daycares. So I think it's very good news, and uh, I look forward to seeing just how many parents step up and accept vaccination for their kids. Yeah, a lot of parents that I know with young kids were very happy about today, very happy that this was finally approved. What should parents know? I mean, there's always questions about vaccinating one's children. What do you think parents should know, and where can they find that kind of information that they need? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So this vaccination, the data is not as clear-cut as it is for the adults uh, because the clinical trial is uh, shorter, has fewer subjects, and so forth. But Moderna, they're reporting a 51% vaccine efficacy against symptomatic disease for kids under two and about 37% for kids between two and five years. That doesn't sound like a very high number, but it's pretty high when it's compared to zero, which is what you get from no vaccination. And that's just for symptomatic disease. In the hierarchy of potential vaccine outcomes, next up would be hospitalization, then death. And the vaccine has greater efficacy on those outcomes. So I expect it to be quite effective on preventing hospitalization and death, which is what I as a parent care most about. And this is um, you know, uh, contrary to Pfizer, who claims an 80% efficacy against symptomatic disease, which I don't really believe. We can talk about that later on. What parents need to know is that despite the high efficacy against symptomatic disease, your child still has a, a fairly good chance of getting infected, um, but now a much lower chance of having a bad outcome from that infection. And as uh, Dr. Sharma pointed out in your clip, 
this vaccine probably reduces the probability of long COVID and of MISC, multi-system inflammatory syndrome, which is what we care a lot about. What a lot of parents will care about as well is the possibility of something bad happening as a result of the vaccination. The clinical trials conducted by Moderna showed very good safety signal. The most common adverse reaction are things like pain at the site of injection and a fever. About 18% of the, uh, the kids in the vaccine group got a fever as compared to about 9% in the placebo group. So it doubles your chances of a fever, essentially. But even that is only a 20% chance of getting it. So I think the safety signal is very good and the potential for protection against a potentially fatal disease is pretty good as well. So all being said, uh, by my calculus, uh, the math bends towards getting vaccinated for your kid. I know that uh, health officials were quite uh, explicit today about saying, listen, this is a parental parent's choice. Uh, we're not, this, these are not mandates. We're not forcing this on anyone. Um, why do you think they've, they've changed their tune a little bit on this one compared to some of the earlier uh, vaccine rollouts for older folks? Well, for one thing, uh, kids that age aren't going to be engaging in the economy as much. They're not going to get lattes at Starbucks. They're not going to be eating indoors with abandon. The vaccine passport system really doesn't appeal, uh, apply to them as much. And also people are far more sensitive when it comes to preventing or presenting risks for their children. I mean, I'm far more tolerant of risk to myself and I'll accept almost zero risk for my child. So as a result, any sort of uh, requirement for your child to receive a relatively new medical intervention in their bloodstream is something that uh, would be regarded as draconian by a lot of people. So they have to tread carefully. I, I fully understand that. Um, also, there is uh, this narrative, which is not entirely wrong, that small children are much less likely to have a bad experience with this disease than are adults. That's true. It's just that enough of them are getting sick and being hospitalized and dying to make this a concern. But because of the overall lower risk as compared to adults, it makes sense to ratchet back the requirement language as compared to adults. I know you're probably going to have to have this conversation, but how do you how do you talk to a child about getting this kind of vaccine? Because I, I gather that you know these are children now who've really grown up during a pandemic, so there must be a lot of psychological factors there too for kids just explaining what it is and what it's going to do, what it's not going to do, and so forth. Yeah, it's a good question. Now, it depends on the age of the child. My child is two years old. There's not really a whole lot of conversation to be had here. <laughs> no. He's getting his, his other vaccines at the same time, and so it's just one more thing stuck in his arm. Um, but for the older kids, you, you have a couple of options here. You could choose not to have the conversation. Say, hey, this is a medical thing that we have to do, like a chickenpox vaccine, like your regular checkup, etc. Or you can take this as a learning opportunity to talk about the world as a whole and how there are values implicit in living in a society, not using those obvious big words, uh, of course, but something about we care about each other. We care about your grandparents who might get sick if you get sick. We care about keeping mama and dada safe from being infected as well. And so we accept these small discomforts um, in the hopes that that heightens the chance of keeping the people you love safe. There are a variety of options here. Um, that's outside my expertise, the psychology of, of child vaccination. But Indeed. That's the way I would approach yeah. it. That's the way I would approach as it. A, as, a, as a parent, I guess you're sort of a default expert as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is it? I mean, with not, with not being able to have young kids vaccinated, obviously there's been some restrictions when it comes to, you know, again, you mentioned grandparents. I know for a while mm -hmm. that there were a lot of restrictions there when it came just to being able to bring your kids uh, out and about all the time to see everybody. Oh, like I, I'm there. That's my life the last couple of years is um, while my friends are out 
enjoying uh, restaurant life and socialization and travel, uh, my spouse and I have decided to keep our child relatively protected from that sort of thing. And of course, uh, my child has seen his relatives, but not nearly as intimately as we would like. Not going into other people's homes, for example, or having visitors in our own homes as much, relying heavily on outdoor visits. So this opens up the possibility of having a deeper, more fulfilling social life for your child, having your child engaged in more activities, indoor activities in particular, daycare, elementary school, if those have been denied some people, now it's back on the table. And certainly at a public health level, it means probably quelling the anxieties around outbreaks in places like daycare. So um, again, uh, this is just one tool to use. I have to stress that. Vaccination is but one tool. And a daycare environment, for example, we need everyone to be vaccinated, not just the children, but the adults to be fully uh, boosted. We need um, symptom checks to prevent infected adults from being present. And we need mask wearing when appropriate. And we need ventilation upgrades. All those things in tandem will allow us to keep our children as safe as possible. I guess it is important now, too, as we're seeing these new variants, uh, BA5 and so on, come in, that uh, that we should be as vigilant as ever. Yes, um, that's a big unknown, right? The effect that BA5 will have on the face of the pandemic. What we know about BA5 is that it's causing a, a much greater rate of reinfection. Therefore, there's a lot more infected people walking around than otherwise would have been. Uh, and the vaccines are good, at not necessarily preventing infection, but pretty good at preventing the bad outcomes of infection. So the fact that my child will be out in the world swimming amongst a sea of infection, it fills me with much better confidence knowing that he is now much less likely to end up in a hospital bed because of that. I'm speaking with Dr. Weiwat Dianandan. He's an epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. We're talking about Health Canada approving today one vaccine, the Moderna vaccine for kids under the age of five, between six months and five years old, and just all the different uh, permute- all the different considerations that parents should be looking at when deciding whether or not to go forward with that. It will be rolled out uh, in provinces soon. I know BC announced when it will be available here today. Uh, coming up, Canada has reinstated random testing for COVID for passengers arriving into this country at major airports. Uh, Is it necessary? What are we going to learn from it? That's next. We are committed to doing everything we can to ease the congestion at our airports. And we recognize that testing at airports was adding a layer of, of congestion. So we decided quickly to suspend them uh, but committed that we are going to keep random testing, however, off airport premises. There's Transport Minister Omar, Omar Al-Gabra today. The federal government announced plans today to start randomly testing travellers at Canada's four main airports for COVID-19 again next week, but they intend to do the swabbing off-site. It paused, of course, as the minister was saying, uh, testing back on June 11th. Well, it worked on trying to get those tests off or out of airports. Uh, the government now says mandatory tests on randomly selected passengers will resume July 19th for fully vaccinated travelers arriving in Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, and Toronto. My guest this half hour is Dr. Rewat Dionandan. He's an epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Uh, is this, is this, does this help us understand what, what's happening with COVID if we know who coming into the country is getting it randomly or randomly testing? Yeah, it does help. And this is something we call surveillance. And that's a scary word to a lot of people because it conjures up images of Big Brother staring at us through our bedroom windows. But disease surveillance is just keeping your eye out on the community for the prevalence of the disease, for spikes in disease uh, occurrence, and for changes in the disease profile. So we need to do, first of all, random testing in general. 
to hunt the disease where it lives so that we're not passively waiting for people to present themselves to us at testing centers. Uh, random, active random sampling allows us to know where it is and to now allows us to know how common it is asymptomatically. R- random sampling for travelers is important for a couple of reasons. First is that it gives us a, a sense of whether new variants are entering the country. And that gives us some advanced notice because, for example, there's some you know, new variants floating around in India right now that we're concerned about. When that takes hold in Canada, we'll have a whole new face of this disease to deal with. So getting advanced notice of that happening is useful. The other reason is uh, if you were to summarize how the countries who dealt with COVID well have dealt with it in the past couple of years, I would say they got good at three things. Number one was testing, case identification. Number two was acting quickly uh, and, and earnestly. And number three was patrolling their borders for reinfection. We haven't done that well up till now. So at random sampling of incoming travelers allows us to know how porous our borders are to the incoming uh, infection wave and allows us to pull the relevant policy levers to control that. But again, most importantly, as a surveillance tool to get a handle on the changing face of the disease as it enters our country. Because I know a lot of the talk today was, well, if you let people leave the airport and, and they then test positive later, they've already been out in the community spreading whatever it is they have. But you're saying this really isn't about stopping spread. This is about finding out what's coming in. It's surveillance, not not prevention yeah. necessarily. That is my understanding. Now, that not be might not be how the government chooses to communicate it, but scientifically, I feel that's where it's most important. A random sample, frankly, isn't going to control it that much. Testing everyone might control it a fair bit uh, more vigorously. It depends on what percentage of the population will be tested around. Is it 5%, 20%, 80%? If it's just you know, 5 or 15% or so, that's really a statistical sample to understand the face of the disease, not to control its spread necessarily. And as you point out, we're certainly dealing with new variants all the time. So this is perhaps one way, uh, because it feels like the testing within the country isn't all that robust right now. Uh, This is at least one way, I gather, to make sure we have a better idea of what's coming in. And also from Canadians themselves, right? What's circulating in in the country, even as travelers come home? That's exactly right. I mean, most of the testing done now in the country is rapid testing done at home. And that doesn't get reported to public health or any sort of centralized registry. And that doesn't allow us also to determine the nature of the variant that you're infected with. Only PCR testing does that with some further investigation in the laboratory. So again, to have a better idea of the nature of the threat, we have to do random PCR testing with thorough laboratory investigation to get a sense of uh, the symptomatic nature of the person, how much viral load they're carrying, and what variant they are infected with. You only do that with this kind of strategy. Dr. Dion Dandin, thank you so much for your time tonight. Much appreciated. It's my pleasure. Thank you.